Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hey, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody out there, and uh, Happy New Year to my guest, Andrew Thorpe King, who's sitting resplendent in front of me in a cap and a cigar. He's wearing the cap and smoking the cigar, just to make that clear. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm great. Nice to uh, nice to be here, Russell. Thanks for having me. Very good. Where in the world are you? I'm in the Philadelphia area in the States. Peace yeah. and love, brother. Uh, well, they call it the city of brotherly love, but they also alternately call it Philadelphia. Uh, so you never know. I guess it depends on what's going on in the, uh, the zeitgeist of the city, you know? <laughs> Which side of the street you're on. Um, so what, what is it that you do, Andrew? Tell us about yourself. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a writer, so I just had this new book out called Failure Rules, The Five Rules of Failure for Entrepreneurs, Creatives, and Authentics. Um, so uh, my background is uh, been, you know, a serial entrepreneur and a creative for years and years and years. Um, you know, kind of had a mostly a dual career uh, in the music industry. I own two record labels, one hardcore metal label, one more street punk, oi, and psychobilly, kind of in the alternative kind of space. Uh, I also have, uh, you know, strangely a, a career in banking and finance with many different layers, everything from online lending companies that I had, had owned to lead generation companies to financial planning, and now I'm an executive banker for an online uh, online bank that uh, services uh, the, the fintech space, so the financial yeah. technology. So kind of a bank behind a lot of those cool apps, kind of the, the Venmos and Chimes of the world and, and do got a lot of innovation work there. Uh, and uh, also ex-bodybuilder, you know, owned a gym at one point, uh, spy novelist, wrote a spy novel. So I do many things. And this book, Failure Rules, kind of ties together all those disparate interests interest and experience uh, and kind of pulls together, you know, what have I experienced? What are the, um, the hard times, the failures, the challenges that I've encountered and overcome over the course of the past few decades through all these pursuits and uh, kind of distills lessons rolled up into kind of overarching rules, the five rules of failure from those experiences, layers in, you know, a a whole bunch of kind of diverse case studies that kind of, you know, back up uh, the sentiments of these lessons through the stories of, you know, everybody from famous back boxer, Jack Johnson, to podcaster, chess player, serial entrepreneur, James Altucher, uh, to author Stephanie Land, to punk rocker Henry Rollins, to professional bowler Tom Smallwood, all kinds of, you know, uh, different case studies. 
Uh, and, it, you know, the book kind of took form over the course of um, seven, eight years and um, finally flung it out to the world, as Churchill would say, uh, uh, in September of this year. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, I like the way you're broaching um, failure, as it were, um, um, head on, because I think people see failure as a single cataclysmic effect. Well, actually, the definition of failure is a lack of success. It doesn't mean that you're finished forever. It is actually just that whatever you've done hasn't been successful. And I think there's a, um, there's a whole drama around failure, which is irrelevant, because failure is the best chance we actually ever have in our lives to learn. Would you agree? Yes. So, you know, so it's, it's, I would agree with that. I would also say at the same time, failure still sucks. So, I mean, that's a tagline of the book is after it sucks, failure rules, right? It's still something that you want to try to avoid, you know, true yeah. failure, real failure, right? At the same time, when it's unavoidable, when it's part and parcel of pursuing difficult things, and even though you've taken all the information, you plan as much as you can, like Mike Tyson said, Plans are great to get punched in the mouth. So you, you are going to get punched in the mouth at some point. So you need to kind of premeditatively think about how you're going to, you know, metabolize, handle, and leverage and optimize failure when it occurs. Uh, and when you get to that point, uh, when it happens that way, often I find that, you know, um, failure is something that purifies. That's failure rule number one It's failure purifies. And in that empty failure space, it's usually burning off of you something that needed to die. Some mm. old way of thinking, some old way of doing things, some old way of being. And in that burning, I think, you know, the phoenix can emerge. You know, the phoenix must burn to emerge. And in that, I think that you can, if you handle it correctly, you know, if you become kind of, a, a, a you know, an objective observer of your failure instead of a emotional participant in your failure, I think you can then take those experiences and like author Nassim Tlaib of Anti-Fragile would talk about, you can actually gain from that harm, not just get up, not just be resilient, but more than resilient. Yeah. Gain from that harm with an exponentiality and, uh, you know, find your next best steps in your, in your calling journey. You better whip through the other uh, five aspects, given that you've given us the first one, then we can have a chat about them. So the first one makes sense. So, so that's some sort of burning. And yeah, what's the next one? No, so yeah, that was failure rule number one. Failure rule number two is nothing is safe. Um, so it, it's just this idea of, you know, I think I think a lot of the um, impediment to living a bold, courageous life that's in alignment with our true calling journey uh, for many people is a clinging to safety. Right? And that doesn't mean you take unnecessary risks, doesn't mean you don't plan, doesn't mean you don't have backups and contingencies and waterfalls of redundancies for what you're doing. But it does mean if you're in many, many cases, if you're placing safety first, it, it's probably going to be something that um, really, you know, uh, inhibits you from joining yourself succinctly with what you ought to be doing in terms of manifesting your highest usefulness in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So I go through examples of. Uh, uh, with that role, you know, everything from Lemmy Kilmister, the famous metal band Motorhead from England, uh, where he talks about how nothing is safe and how living a safe life means living a small life, uh, to Mike Rowe from the show Dirty Jobs, how he had an episode called Safety Third, you know, essentially to kind of illustrate that safety should not always be put, you know, uh, you know, first. It needs to be weighed against competing uh, priorities uh, yeah. that might outweigh the priority of safety. Uh, and so as an entrepreneur and a creative, I think that uh, we really need to think about safety very clearly and make sure that uh, some sort of unnecessary claim to it is not an impediment to, uh, you know, us uh, putting out great art in the world or uh, pursuing an entrepreneurial path that really what, burns. What would, be an example of, what would be an example of someone clinging on to an aspect of safety? 
I mean, you could think of somebody who is kind of stuck in maybe a nine to five structure. And although that's a necessary thing for them in terms of, uh, you know, uh, financial stability, they never really break out and pursue anything outside that, even though that they might have a spark or a burning fire in them to do it. Uh, because they're afraid of the risk, whether it's a, a financial investment into an outside pursuit, whether it's uh, the time investment uh, of thinking, well, if I put my time into this, it's going to be wasted because it not, might not bear fruit. And they're so used to only trading their time for money today and not investing the time in the potential for impact and development years down the road with that kind of foresight mentality. And so I think that stops a lot of people, kind of puts them potentially in that state that Thoreau used to talk about of uh, quiet desperation. And I think that is, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, a symptom of uh, what I would call a safety file is, is a term I use in the book. Yeah. A lover of safety. Okay. I th I, yeah, it's interesting. We'll come back to that one. Um, what's number three? Failure number three is money is spiritual. And it's the idea that money, when used or viewed properly, uh, is really kind of an agnostic tool, right? Uh, you know, if you avoid the, the failure edge territories of greed and envy, uh, and you see money for what it is, I think it can really be a, a force multiplier of blessings. Essentially, the, the, a transaction is, uh, you know, placed value uh, of your measured thankfulness. It's a thank you note. Uh, and I think just viewing money as something that can actually, um, you know, um, really be a measurement of your, your usefulness in the world and how you're blessing others with your services and your talents. Uh, and then also in the other direction, you know, how you're measuring, uh, you know, your thankfulness to others for what they might offer you in the world from a monetary mm. perspective. So it goes through all of that. And of course, it dives into the kind of perils of the, of the failure edge spaces of both envy and greed, which I see as kind of, uh, you know, malevolent twin siblings. Yes, interesting. Well, that's true. Uh, number four, what's that? Failure rule number four goes back to what I was talking about in terms of even though failure is not something to necessarily fear, it is something you want to avoid and you want to come up with a strategy to potentially uh, mitigate it, right? So failure rule number four is called uh, build your thing one and thing two dependency. And thing one and thing two has nothing to do with cat in the hat. Uh, it, it's more of, a, I think, of a disheveled Tony Soprano waking up, having his first cigar of the day, uh, you know, in his bathrobe and saying, you know, you got your thing one enabler pursuit over here, your thing two North Star pursuit over here, one supports the other. So thing one is an enabler pursuit. It's that scaffolding uh, that kind of stable structure in your life that might have low meaning, but it gives you a platform to have more freedom to chase a thing to aspirational North Star pursuit on the side or in the cracks of life and enables you to get there. And so I go through very creative examples in the book of that. Uh, one would be uh, two brothers I knew uh, who uh, immigrated to the States from Lebanon, uh, Shia Muslim background. Uh, and they wanted to, they, to, to them, starting businesses was the answer to their happiness, uh, you know, in, in America, but they didn't have any seed money. So uh, what did they do? They, they, they um, worked for Disney on Ice and traveled the country uh, selling Disney on Ice merch, uh, you know, on, on a vending truck outside the events. But Disney on Ice took care of all their lodging, all of their meals, so they had no expenses for several years. They were married to the road. They were able to save up the seed capital, kind of live their dreams. That was the thing yeah. one enabler, low-meaning, utilitarian, took some risks, very creative, a little extreme. Uh, but then that birthed really a retail empire in the city they lived in, and they ended up having this brick-and-mortar retail empire where they owned everything from 
gyms to nightclubs to cigar lounges to gas stations to even strip clubs and they they ended up building their dream uh, by that kind of creative way of approaching it's the idea that dreams are great big dreams are great you can't just go at them head on most of the time right yeah. you can't just think all else you have to build very thoughtful uh framework and structure to help you get there uh, and chase after it because at the, in, at the end of the day even your dreams are not safe there's nothing is safe yes and, and of course, you've got a, quite an interesting corollary between safety and dreams. So basically, you are basically managing the risk of what you're saying here. So you're having a, a plan B, effectively, what you, your thing A through thing B. Okay, what's number five? And then, then we can unpack them a bit. Yeah, sure. So number five, uh, you know, arguably one of the most important or, or powerful rules, uh, you know, from the feedback of readers and, and other podcast hosts that I've been on is you are not your failures. So it's the idea of decoupling your identity from a failure event, right? So it's basically, I think a lot of people get hung up on uh, fear of failure, fear of pursuing something difficult because they don't want to fail and they are afraid of the optics of failure uh, should they fail. And then those that actually do that when they do fail, many people have a hard time recovering because they think that they are a failure because they experienced the failure event, even if it was something that was brought about by a gap in decision-making. And many failures are not. Many failures are just things we cannot control. It could be just the uh, the volatility and the in- unpredictability of the world or the free market uh, or, uh, or what it might, whatever it might be. Um, so failure rules is you are not your failures. And that extends even to ethical failures, right? So I go through a story in the book of Elgin James, uh, who is a screenwriter, but before he was a screenwriter, he's also the brother of, of, of Jocko Willink, if you know who Jocko Willink yeah. is. Uh, he's half-brother of Jocko Willink. So Elgin James was uh, the leader of a militant, straight-edge, hardcore punk street gang called FSU, um, which uh, meant Friends Stand United and ultimately some other things. Uh, and and they basically were committed to a, a, a lifestyle of uh, abstaining from drugs and alcohol, uh, and they would go around to punk shows uh, and essentially beat up anybody that smoked or drank or did anything like that. They were kind of a real kind of puritanical violent force uh he ended up getting arrested on extortion charges uh and uh at the same time he was going through a transformation uh he renounced violence uh, moved to la pursued his love of screenwriting ended up becoming a mentee of robert redford mm. uh and on the day of his sentencing you know there's this paradox of he's being sentenced at the same day he gets a deal from universal pictures uh for a film uh, so he, he talks about that kind of that, that paradox and shedding his past and embracing new skin. And uh, he went on to then be, you know, the uh, you know, to write uh, Mayans uh, uh, MC, which was the, you know, the spinoff to the successful show Sons Anarchy on FX. And kind of he, he built that new life. He was able to shed uh, the ethical failures of the past. He realized he was not his failures and yeah. he was able to, uh, you know, have that rebirth. And so it's yeah. uh, that, that's also a piece of it. But really what you're talking about here is constantly evolving. So you don't actually have a profound catastrophic failure. You have a series of planned failures from which growth comes. Because that's the point of failure, isn't it? It's just a lack of success, which means you're not getting what you want today, but something comes out of it. The point is, as you're saying, it's it's the mindset where you see failure as part of the journey. And I mean, let's right. let's be honest. I mean, you know, success is measured um comparatively so it's people don't have a clear idea of what success looks like for themselves don't they they compare themselves endlessly to well if i'm not elon musk i'm not a success whereas yes. you know you can yes. actually have 
you know, um, 50K in the bank and have a nice life and be relatively happy and have a couple of holidays a year, that could be success for you. And I think there's, a, there's a potential problem here in the comparative idea of somehow that there's one, there's one, which is your point about the money, that there's only one indicator of success. And I think that's where, where the part of the problem comes from, don't you? I do, I do. Um, and, you know, in terms of definitions, right, whether it's failure or success, so I, I kind of view them probably a little uniquely. I have a, a definition of terms uh, in the book where I go through what I mean by certain terms, and I define failure very broadly, everything from, again, personal gaps in decision-making, you know, uh, derelicts of duty and how we approach things, to just the general experiential uh, you know, um, failures that occur for being part of, of the human condition, whether it's, you know, affected by sickness or war or just the, the imperfection of life, which is another yeah. thing I talk about in the book is, is, is learning uh, to have wabi-sabi in your life and the love for imperfection. It's a Japanese term. Uh, and um, in terms of the, the, the definition of success, I actually define success not in terms of, uh, you know, uh, accolades or, uh, you know, uh, wealth or, uh, you know, accomplishments necessarily. But for me, success is finding a way to join yourself with your calling journey, which basically means that, you know, identifying uh, and um, using uh, the most unique um, combination of your talents for the highest impact in the world. And so if that is success, money might be a byproduct of that. It might not. Yeah. <laughs> it might specifically not be. Success might be walking away from money in order to have higher meaning and join yourself into the world world with using your highest impact, right? Uh, so I, I define success that way. Yeah, and that's so interesting. Very that's interesting way of looking at success. It's yeah, not but about that's interesting, it. isn't it? Because a lot of people mistake a calling, the unique calling or whatever you want to call it, uh, as, as you describe it, is having to be an entrepreneur, having to be a creative. Sometimes it's good enough to be working in the middle of an organization, going and taking a wage check, going scuba diving at the weekend and just having a great life, having a couple of kids and doing that. There's a sort of an implication sometimes that, again, it's this idea of the entrepreneurial life that's somehow better. Where actually, a lot of people just aren't cut out to be entrepreneurs or creatives. Those people that are frightened are frightened for a reason. It's because they're not up to it. And, there's, and it's actually part of understanding one's own success to know what our limitations are and steer clear of those. Or, you know, you can spend a lot of time crashing and burning, or you could have just been successful in a smaller and a smaller game, as it were. And that's that's yeah. and I think that's often the challenge for people, isn't it? It's that comparative aspect, you know. Um, I'm a happy playing in the second division, you know, at the top of the of top of the tray, or you know, trying to puddle around with the big people at the top and failing dismally. It's a, it's a challenge, isn't it? It is. And, and I address that a little bit in the book, even though the title is saying, you know, uh, five rules of failure for entrepreneurs, creatives, and authentics, right? Even entrepreneur, I define very broadly. I talk about being an entre-employee, like you're describing, where you work yeah. in an organization and you find deep meaning in that, but you yeah. approach your job as with an entrepreneurial mindset, where you're yeah. trying to make your imprint within the organization, where you're trying to own your work, own your, uh, the effect you have on your colleagues, the, the effects you have on your work. So you're thinking creatively, you're looking for the adjacent possible within your, your job to grow and stretch your skills. Uh, and uh, Or even not, or even not nothing to do with work. 
just having a good life, having a good family. And actually, you use your job as a vehicle to actually have a good life. Because I think people confuse work and life, don't they? Well, I think for me, I, I don't know that I would say that. Given how much work consumes so much of our waking hours, I would have a real hard time discarding work from something that I would be seeking meaning and fulfillment in. I, do, you I think, think do you think that's that, quite that's a male-centric view? Do you think that's quite a male-centric view, though? Because lots of men define themselves by their jobs. They define themselves by their trade, their, what they do, rather than who they are. I'm not talking about defining yourself by it. I'm talking about finding meaning in it, right? So, you know, I don't really over-identify with anything because nothing is safe anyway, right? It, the externals can shift and crumble, right? Uh, but it is about looking at an authentic, balanced, full life. So it is that balance between how do you find meaning in family? How do you find meaning in outside pursuits that might not be monetized? And at the same time, for the things you need to monetize, yes, I want a full life everywhere. I want to have meaning there too, right? And that's a balance. It's going to have different percentages of, of, of uh, meaning accomplishment in those different buckets at different times. Um, but, but for me, I, I am looking to maximize meaning wherever I can uh, so, and balance so all out. So let me jump in for a second because this is a this is a, a, a thing I'd like to so you're saying something different to a lot of people a lot of people discover the meaning of their job they sort of wait for it to hit them and I mm -hmm. have and I think you're saying the same thing which is you discover the meaning by finding it by digging in and finding the meaning um so could you talk a little bit more about that as a yeah, conscious process 100 percent right, 100%, right? Yeah. I think it really is a matter of how you approach it uh, it almost doesn't matter what the job is I mean, I think there are things that might have lower meaning than other things in your life based on your passion and your talents. But I think even those things that are quote unquote low meaning, meaning can be found in all jobs, right? Yeah. You can find a way uh, to extract meaning out of it if you go in with intentionality uh, and with uh, you know a self-awareness and an analysis of how you can extract meaning out of the job, whether it's through relationships with people you meet there, whether it's expanding yourself into new skills that you otherwise thought you were uninterested in, but might discover interests. Yeah. When I started, uh, I've been in the, in the banking space for, for, for 10 years now, specifically just in, in the financial technology space. I was not interested in it at all when I went there. I needed the job, I wanted the money. I had just walked away from being a self-employed entrepreneur for 15 years solely, uh, and then went into this job, still with some entrepreneurial pursuits on the side. But over the course of three, four years, after kind of languishing in meaninglessness, not knowing how to extract meaning out of it, eventually through relationships and forcing myself dispassionately to do the work, meaning emerged and I was able to identify it and appropriate it, and now, it's I absolutely love what I do and I find mm. all kinds of uh, you know curiosity with what I do and fulfillment. So how so how do you so how do you find meaning? What is it you actually yeah, do to find the meaning? I think that's that's very individualistic, right? But I think it's the attitude. Yeah. If you believe that it can be found and you are looking for it, I do believe you will find it. Yeah. But if you don't believe it and you're not really looking for it and you hate your job and you go in with a a, a, a kind of bad attitude uh, about it, you're not going to find it. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you're not looking for it, you don't believe it's there, you're not going to find it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the, for me, it's choice is the call of all of this. And, you know, you choose to find mm -hmm. meaning in anything you do or not. Because it's That's just right. as possible to choose not to find meaning. So it's, for me, it's all a conscious process. I, I mean, I don't leave, I probably you and I would have a, a longer conversation about um, the, the failure side of it around um, 
the the lack of control and accountability such like probably got more to discuss around that but um yeah. fascinating um how do we get hold of the book where do we find it yeah so again failure rules the five rules of failure for entrepreneurs creators and authentics found anywhere books are consumed online you can connect with me at andrewthorpeking.com no e on the end of p uh, from there on the website, you can find my Instagram, follow me there, YouTube channel where I have a lot of good produced videos echoing, uh, you know, the themes of the book in, in a different way. I got a merchandise company, Soul on Fire Supply Company, some killer designs that also kind of reflect the ethos of the book. Um, and there's a free failure rules mini course you can sign up for on the website that also then puts you on, on the, uh, the email list to get weekly kind of nuggets of failure wisdom in your inbox. Brilliant. Okay, so let me just uh, encapsulate that. You've been talking to Andrew Thorpe King today. Thorpe is spelled without an E, which is unusual for the for us Brits, but that's okay. Yeah. And just remind us the name of the book, just in case we've forgotten. Failure rules with an exclamation mark. Five rules of failure for entrepreneurs, creatives, and authentics. And if you're looking for the title and you can't see a man with a hat or a cap or a cigar, then you've got the <laughs> wrong person. Andrew, it's that's been a joy that. to talk to you today. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks for having me, Russell. Yeah, superstar. Thanks. Take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcasts for show notes or follow the links and you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers tools and resources including free articles and ebooks for those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively you can find our new patreon page at patreon.com then search for resilience unraveled i look forward to being in your ear next time around take care